What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to your first postseason edition of the Doster, T.O. and Phantom Podcast. That is the DTF Podcast. It is Tuesday morning. It is April 12th. We've uh, had a little bit of an off-season here. It's been nice to be able to relax and sleep in, uh, to go to bed before 2 o'clock in the morning, to not have to worry about uh, making sure that I'm retweeting this or following that or tracking whatever. I, I don't know about you guys. I put my phone on Do Not Disturb. Uh, as soon as I got back from New Orleans and I did not take it off of do not disturb until uh, yesterday morning, which would have been Monday morning at 9 a.m. So that was nice to not have to pay attention to literally anything. Uh, anyway, I'm Rob Doster. I have Terrence Oglesby and John Fanta with me. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Fanta, I know you had a little bit of a busy week coming back from New Orleans. That's right. New digs. I got right back from New Orleans and the lady and I moved in. We've moved in together in uh, North Jersey, in Booton, New Jersey. There's only one Booton, B-O-O-N-T-O-N, for those who don't know. And that's exactly why on the the water tower uh, over across the way, it says Booton, USA, because they're the only town that can that can actually say that they're, they're not just in New Jersey. It's the only one in the country. So we've moved. We've moved out to, yes, the the forest land of new jersey did you know that new jersey has farmland and and fields and you probably wouldn't have guessed that but new jersey is a much better state than people give it credit for and there are parts of new jersey people have no clue about so we're deep into new jersey it's great to to be moved in with the lady i could tell you guys uh that it was its own version of march madness for me uh because of the amount of boxes and the amount of clothes and i couldn't i couldn't tell what was clean and what was dirty for my clothes so uh, the other half washed and dried everything uh, along with me. I, I think I've done more laundry in the last week than I did in the previous 25 years, <laughs> certainly than I did at Seton Hall. I mean, if you guys were good at doing laundry in college, I got questions for you. So it was, uh, it, it's been a lot of work, but we've moved in and we are all good. I've actually been making used to, Fanta in college, we used to call it eating dinner at a normal hour. It's yeah. It's so weird. It's weird being on a normal schedule. It's weird being able to, uh, to, to have a normal sleep cycle, to wake up and feel refreshed and not need nine cups of coffee to get through the day. I don't know if you guys did this. We had it. We, we called it the migration, right? Where you would take the pile of dirty clothes and pull it off of your bed when you had to sleep and throw it on the chair. And then when you had to get down and to, to work and, and get at your desk and be able to go do homework or whatever, you pull off the pile of dirty clothes and you threw it onto the bed. We called it the migration during the day. Is yeah. that gross? Or was I just a gross college student? Well, I, I was <laughs> I wasn't organized enough to have that name, uh, but I did that and have continued to do that. Those habits are going to stop now. I was, uh, I was nuts when it came to laundry. Like I needed clean clothes. Cause I was I, even today, like I'm really self-conscious about smelling bad. 
like <laughs> like any like in, insanely self-conscious about smelling bad because it, to me like there's nothing more off-putting than a dude who smells when you're trying to talk to him so like I get insane like even back to like high school like I do my or my mom would do my laundry in high school when I got to college I would do my laundry once a week or something even when I was playing it would be it sucks to do but you just end up doing it Man, I'm just a crazy person. I feel like there's some underlying trauma there. Like, you got made fun of for being the smelly kid when you were four. No, I just, dude, I just know, like, what it's like to sit there and have to talk to somebody who smells. And it's like, dude, I will never be. Yeah, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. I mean, one of my favorite stories from the year was uh, at Providence, oddly enough, uh, since I seem to be there every week this year. and, And Providence gets a big win. And Ed Cooley looks at me during the interview and goes, after the, the interview ended, this was a, I think it was a triple overtime game against Xavier. So that game went three and a half hours with the roof leakage. And he looks at me after the interview and goes, damn, man, I smell like a bag of ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, he did not smell good. Uh, yeah. And, and you, there's, not, there's no worse feeling than when, than when you're in that position and you just got to get in the shower. You, you got to for a good it. 25 minutes. Washing once isn't good enough. You got to yeah. double count. That's, yeah. I'm scared of being that guy. For what it's worth, Doster, I think this is the most rested I've ever seen you. Yeah. I feel great. Like, like, like you, feel you unbelievable. very rested. And, and I was talking to my wife because she, we went back and watched the 37 minute clip or whatever of the weekend. She goes, There's a couple of clips in there where Doster looks like he's on death's door. just like just like right there and like we we feel better feel rested uh i'm rejuvenated i got to play golf the other day with damon i took him out there and uh we both stink but it it was fun to at least go out there and be with them and be outside and the weather's starting to get warm down here it's supposed to be 78 today so gosh it's the best it's it's the best just to be able to relax and go to baseball practice and all that stuff and not have to worry about uh, getting back and watching the seven o'clock game and stuff. And and it's, it's nice. You like, I'll, I'll be happy for about three weeks. And then I start itching and then it's like, what can I do? What can I do? And that's when I drive like my uncle crazy and my accountant crazy. Cause then I'm just like, well, what can I do? What can I do? And it's always something that's moving. And, and I, I just kind of itch. It stinks that it's not the college basketball is not on the uh, European 10 month season plan. I'd be okay with that. Well, I mean, I think okay the, the schedule that college basketball has is the best in it for any sport in the country, right? Because it really kicks off as it starts to get cold out around the country, right? Right. When you stop wanting to be outside, is when college basketball gets going. And right when you want to start going back outside is when college basketball ends. So for all of those nights where you have nothing to do but sit on the couch and try to stay warm and maybe start a fire and uh, throw on a sweatshirt and throw on a hoodie and just sit on the couch and watch TV, those are the nights where college basketball was on. So I think that it's it's the perfect. No, it's awesome. I'll tell you this. Tio, I do not want college basketball to go to, go to a 10-month schedule. I, will, I don't think I'll I'd be, be okay able to survive it, man. I don't you think I'll be able to hire more survive. people. No, you have to hire no. More people. Can you imagine, can you imagine no. having to do after dark every night for, for 10 months out of the year? No, we'd all be out of a relationship. Are you kidding no, me? No, I'd be, I'd be dead. I wouldn't be able you to handle, I could barely handle March, man. I could barely handle March. I literally, I went to sleep. The day I got home from New Orleans that Tuesday, I went to bed at like nine o'clock that night, right? And I woke up at nine o'clock the next day. Then I did the same thing Wednesday. <laughs> then I did the same thing Thursday. Like I, I don't think I've ever slept this much ever. And I am still waking up a little bit. Like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I definitely have to set my alarm because I'll just sleep until eleven if no one comes yeah. in and wakes me up. Yeah, 
You're catching up. You're catching up. And by the way, if we went, what is it, 10 and 1? You, you're saying you would pass away if you didn't get killed by somebody first. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. I mean, yeah. by the time the six, six, six consecutive nights of shows with and – and the way that the set was aligned for us was always me being the, the, the host on the, the far end. And I want to say 90% of the time I was seated next to Goodman. Where yeah. if, you're, oh, if, you're seated, if you're seated next to Jeff, he starts doing his own show as the group is doing a show and picks the person next to him to start saying side comments on what he thinks about what they're saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's the, yeah, that's standard Jeff. So you're you're talking about what happened in New Orleans. So let's let's get into that a little just for the people that are not aware. Uh, we spent six days in New Orleans doing live shows at the Gordon Biersch. Uh, I don't think I've ever had more fun. Then that week in New Orleans covering college basketball, just we were just hanging out, awesome. shooting the shit, talking hoops, listening to Shimon Williams and Randolph Childress rant about the North Carolina Duke rivalry, bringing in every coach in the country. Like we, we went through the list, and once you take out all the coaches that weren't there and all the coaches that would not come on a show like that, like a, a Coach Calipari or, uh, or or Coach K or Bill Self or guys like that. I think we pretty much got every single coach that we would possibly want to get out of like the top yeah. 25 teams in the country. It was unbelievable. Bruce Pearl, Brad Underwood, Eric Musselman. It just the, the number of, of, uh, of names that came through our set was just unbelievable. And it was, it was so I'll, I'll never go back to, to writing again. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to go back to normal media shit again. Like, let's just do this every year. Why not? That was a blast. I'll show up. That, that, I mean, it was so much fun. Like, and not only that, like we, you got, you and Jeff have done a remarkable job at picking the right personalities to mesh together. And I, I feel like there's always, no matter, you know, what team I've been on, what, what, what staff I've worked on, what job I've had to work. Like there's always a couple of guys that don't get along great. There wasn't that this year. It was a bunch of personalities that really clicked. Like I, I never met the three man weave guys. I enjoyed the shit out of just hanging out and listening to them because they're a bit like they're different. The way they explain things, it just the the the, the words they use. It's it's hard for me to say, but like the, the the their dialogue. Like Maddie, I think that dude's one of the funniest people I've ever been around because like <laughs> the certain words that they'll use to describe something is just like comes to me from so far out of left field. And it's great to have stuff like that. You you know, it's funny to you. That is, that is how every single person that's not from the South thinks about you. They're like, what is, what what is this guy talking about right now? I know. And I'm just like, man, what in it? Like it's, and it's nothing like way out of way out of order or out of like, it's, it matches, but it's not the words that I would use. So I think they're, I think they're funny. And like even like Greg Waddell and Carter Elliott and, and Nuts Hanging Dag and like like we put cameras on those guys because like they bring value to, to the show every time. Like it's just it, it was a fun group to be around. Uh, you know, sitting courtside for the two semifinal games and then sitting uh, way back for the for the national championship game, which turned out to be probably better because I could see it better from where I was sitting. Because there were times that Duke North Carolina game where I would just get lost in the game and I wouldn't be analyzing it. I'd just be watching it. And it was like, but to like with all that stuff going on and the shows post and pregame and gosh, it was just so much fun. It was just fun. And everybody gets along so famously. Yeah. Uh- 
Go ahead, Fanta. College basketball deserved this Final Four with the way that the last couple of years in the sport have gone between COVID knocking out the entirety of the 2020 postseason and then last year, it, it never really felt normal. We were doing shows after games. It's really how After Dark started. And even after we got done, it was like, man, I wish we could be in the building because we could talk about stuff. We could talk about the games. And it was uh, Rob, uh, Deshaun, and myself talking after the games. Uh, but it, it just wasn't the same as what it was last week. That was really if, if you had doctored up an invitation for a college basketball reunion, what does a reunion do in life? Well, it makes you feel old, but it also reestablishes your love for something. You remember why you love it. And what we witnessed in New Orleans between our shows and between the games that we watched and the coaching faces and those crowds, those roars, was a reminder of why we love what we do and why college basketball has such a love factor with it. It's a niche thing. It's a, the fans of college basketball are fans of it for certain reasons. Not everybody's a fan of college hoops. They're just not, or they don't follow it until March. I felt like in New Orleans was people who love the game and who have had a lot taken from them in regards to this sport the last couple of years, and this brought it back and then some. It was great for the sport and its buzz, and it shows sometimes you love upsets. We had some upsets in this tournament. But this Final Four was a complete, well-rounded group that produced some really high-level hoops and a lot of interesting press throughout the week. And that's why, to me, guys, this was the best Final Four we've seen in quite some time. It's the best that I've ever been to for, for a couple of reasons. One, I think the fact that it was just so great to finally see everybody again. You know, we've been how – how long have we just been sitting here on these fucking Zooms? nonstop yeah. right it was great to finally be in person and hang out with all of these people that that we talk to on these calls or we text with or or, or whatever because like that's that's the part of the final four that i don't think people realize it's everybody in the industry like i have friends in this industry that are that live in kansas and that live in uh minnesota and that live in los angeles and that live in florida and that live in arkansas and that live in what like spread around the entire country and it's very difficult to see all of these people at the same time, but when it comes to the final four, like you get all of those media people, you get all of those coaches there. So you can see everyone in this one big environment that it almost, it feels very, there's almost like a, a, a college aspect to it, where it's everybody's just coming there, hanging out, looking to have a good time. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was great to see everyone again for the first time, literally in three years, this is the first time I'm seeing a lot of these people. Um, yeah. The other thing I think that, that made it great was, the fact that all of these people were uh, just chomping at the bit for how how excessive this Final Four actually was in terms of the teams that were there. I mean, think about this for a second. We had North Carolina and Duke playing that rivalry in the NCAA tournament for the first time in what ended up being Coach K's last game. Can we can, can we just sit back, like take a thirty thousand view? Uh, 30,000 foot view of that for a second. You were in the building for that game. Yeah. You watched T.O. We were 50 feet away from Coach K as he walked off the court for the last time. 
in in 30 years when they make a 30 for 30 out of this, like they're going to reach out to us and be like, hey, what do you remember about being at that game? What do you remember about those moments? What do you remember about this? What do you remember about that? Like that was an all-timer moment. And that wasn't even the title game, right? Yeah. So it's just that 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 fact, I think, combined with how excited everyone was get was to get back, combined with the fact that we were in the single best city for a final four, right? And and look, I'll I, I will go on record saying that New Orleans is the best city to host a final four. You can walk everywhere, right? You have a place where you can go out as late as you want. You have unbelievable restaurants. The hotels are right there next to the uh, to the um, to the stadium, and it, it just it was perfect, man. It was a perfect storm of stuff. I, I've never had more fun at a Final Four than I did in New Orleans. It was unbelievable. I just I thought it was great. I, uh, there was, no, there was, was nothing I would change about that week. It's Not funny, a- like a lot of a lot of young coaches started getting smart and coming over and hanging out there at the Gordon Beers and just sitting back there because we had all those the influx of all the head coaches and everything coming in. I, I've i never had more fun, and it kind of made me think back to all these coaches and GAs and everybody that's just scrambling to shake hands, and it was miserable. There was nothing fun about it. And then, like, I got to do this version of the Final Four where we were working and we were playing. Like, guys, I'll be you guys too. Like, we never really stopped working, even between shows. Like we were like Fanta and I and Dol- like you guys in Doster, you guys were doing radio hits too. Like I would do two, three radio hits between shows and then we'd go yeah. to three on three and then we'd go on there with, with, with those guys. And then we'd, we'd go this place and that place, but it was never, it was never more fun. Like it was awesome. Every bit of it was awesome. But I want to ask you guys this because I feel like oh, just one, one thing to, to add to that T.O. Yeah. I don't think people realize that, that you'll spend, 45 minutes texting with someone to try to get them to come up for a 15 minute hit. So it's not just like Bruce Pearl shows up and is coming on. It's like, we're sitting there. We started texting these guys on Tuesday and Wednesday, like before we even went down to the final four being like, Hey, when are you going to be in town? When can you come on to the show? Can we lock you in here? Can we lock you in there? And we had like a full spreadsheet with a schedule set up. And eventually it just got to the point where once you got a couple of those big names coming in, it was a little bit easier because everybody saw it. And, And one thing I did not realize Every single coach in the country watches after dark. Every, yeah. every single one of them. There were so many coaches that I don't even really have a relationship with that came up to me and were like, Hey, great show, man. I love it. I watch it every single night. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Great to see you, man. This is the first time we've ever actually had a conversation, but yeah, you're right. Love it. Thanks. So, I got, I got, I got texts from coaches that like, I've never had a relationship with like, Hey man, really love what you're doing. Congratulations. Yada, yada, yada. This, this stuff has been great this year and we all watch it. Like it's, it's crazy. Like it's really nuts. Like I, you know, Hey, who did we blast more than anybody about December and January was Memphis. You know who I ran into several times down there and who was nice as ever. He's like, man, I watch all the time. It's your boy, Cody Copper. Oh yeah. It was like, and he was like, what's up? And you know, here I am blasting them in wow. January. It was like, you know, it's part of it. Right. As long as you respect, like somewhat respectful about it. And well, they, you know, coaches, kinda- like, there's nothing that we're going to say that they don't already know, right? As long right. as like you, you can criticize whoever you want, as long as you're fair and you're not taking shots, or if you are taking shots, if it's understandable, like if I make fun of Providence because I'm a UConn fan, okay, everybody kind of understands that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and we're just kind of playing the part. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's said, the thing about I it. Said on this, I said on this show I thought Ohio State stunk. Now, they ended up winning a tournament game over Loyola Chicago, so uh, credit to them. But I saw Chris Holtman after Ohio State's loss to Villanova, and and guys, to be candid, he was like, "Yeah, you know, it's tough." 
but I'm getting a contract extension. So, uh, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> moving forward, like, in other words, we were able to produce content that people paid attention to, which is what you want in your content, right? I mean, look what Armando Baycott told Jeff in the press mm-hmm. conference. He said, I've been waiting to speak to you. I have been waiting for you to ask me a question because you called us soft. And frankly, that hit us. That resonated with us. We took that personally. And Hubert Davis ended up basically thanking Jeff. Yeah, basically he did. For saying those, for saying those things. So look, we're, we're going to be critical because we have to be. If you're not critical, you're not going to get paid enough attention to or, or people are going to stop taking you as seriously as they would. We have to tell it like it is. And there's a fine line, I think, sometimes in college sports between what we say about a player versus what we say about a coach. But you can break down a team. If they're not playing hard, if you're coaching issues, you're not coaching players. And the teams that had issues and effort issues and weren't playing hard enough, I don't care how many stars are next to your name. You have got to play hard. North Carolina had a lot of talents. And in November, December, and January, they, they had games where they played terrible. They played terrible. And that's because Hubert Davis says he was having to coach effort plays. So we were being critical of that team. And I think that T.O., you and others, gave them the benefit of the doubt a little bit because you knew how talented they were. You also yeah. knew they weren't playing hard enough. But then that talent finally translated in March. It is cool, though. It's really cool to see how quickly the field of 68 has grown and to see and hear the testimonials from people that you, you don't even know. I mean, you, you, I've never met some of these people before, and they said, hey, I watch your stuff. I really enjoy it. That's what's really cool about this, especially when you can remember those people. Unfortunately, Greg Paulus, I didn't remember you. <laughs> that was awesome. That was an that, all-time That was moment. probably, first of all, I love Greg. I've known Greg forever. Greg's on my wall. I, like he's right there. I don't know if people can see the top top of his head yeah. right there, but yeah. Greg's on my wall. I have a lot of respect for Greg Paulus. Like and and for him to say, and we we've been texting back and forth for years now. Ever since I got back, and I knew he got in a coach, and we've kind of been going back and forth. And he's such a good person, and like for that to happen, just because I knew he would play it so well, and I knew you would play it so well, I just thought it was. That would just it, that was the funniest part of the weekend, and, and he managed to get tears out of Jeff Goodman. Like his, his line, his line where his line where he said he he just paused the beat and he goes, "Good to see you again, John." Oh man, he delivered that so well. That was the moment of the weekend. Um, I, I do want to circle back on one one thing really quick. Um, I want to give you credit to yo. I want to give credit to uh, to Randolph Childress, um, Steve Prom, Archie, Sean, all of the guys, the former players, Ashton. Um, all, all of the former players that we had on, um, I, I, I think it's really important to, to credit you guys because you have relationships in this business, right? Like, you know, these guys, you have guys that have been friends of yours, like, especially Randolph, like he fucking knows everybody. Um, yeah. and they, you guys weren't afraid to, to go at people. You weren't afraid to be critical. You weren't afraid to be honest. And, and I think that's what made the show. You know, we had yeah. people that know, knew what they were talking about that weren't just coming on here speaking in platitudes. They weren't just coming on here giving a 30-second soundbite based off of a box score and a highlight that they just watched because they're yeah. sitting there on a TV set paying no attention to games. So I think that's what made it work. I also want to give credit to Armando Baycott because that that answer that he gave Jeff, you know, everyone's laughing at it because he, because he says, like, I've been waiting to say that to you. But if you actually listen to what he says, he basically acknowledges everything that we were criticizing them for, right? He says... 
what you got to understand is we had a new coach coming in. We have a new system coming in. We have new leadership. We have new expectations. We have new plays. We have new sets. We have new everything. And it took us a while. Like we were a new team trying to figure that out. And then once we figured it out, look at what happened. So he basically acknowledged everything that we, we were, we were critical of and every point that we made and said it with a smile on his face and said, thank you. <laughs> he was like, we needed that a little bit too. So I thought that was pretty cool too. So shout out to him. He, he was one of the guys. I thought that I, I didn't know what to make of him heading into the final four. And I'm coming out of the final four. Like that dude's a fucking warrior. Put him on my roster. I don't care what style of basketball I'm going to play. Like I want Armando Baycott's on in my program. Am I wrong? Like to see him come out there and play the way that he did on a rolled ankle when no. he was, like, he was at like 50% in that game. Yeah, I mm-hmm. took a video of him coming out for warm-ups, and he was noticeable. What, like, one of my, he, go ahead, Tia. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say one of my favorite moments was when uh, he, he walked off and was going to go back in the locker room to get taped to realize how far away it was, came back on the court, and you could see him kind of – it was after he injured it the first time. You could see him walking to the scorer's table, and if you watch it on TV, there's a moment where the camera pans to him, and he's going in, and he just <sighs> breathes a, a, like it takes a deep breath and goes – Ah, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> and walk yeah. back well, I mean, there's only three minutes left. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to do it, man. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. Th- their lack of depth got to them. But uh, I, I want to before we kind of got to talking about the final four. There's there's something that you guys have said, and it, and I've I've noticed it uh, in other podcasts too, where people are like, "Well, college sports is a niche thing because everything's a pro." You know, the NBA is the basketball. Like, I think that's a big city take. Because where I where I live now, and of course I live close to a college town, so I guess you could take that away. But where I grew up in Tennessee, like college sports was the thing. Like there is no, yeah. like, there, there's part of it. Like people say the SEC, it means more. And, and it's because it does. There's not as many college towns around. Like Atlanta is a college city uh, or, or Atlanta is a pro city. Uh, but look at the rest of the – look at the SEC, for example, Arkansas. Like, what else is there? Now, it's a college, college place. Right, like right, Memphis, right, is a, right. Memphis is a pro town. Like, what else? New Orleans, pro town. Yeah. But that's not SEC thing. So, it's like whenever I hear you guys say it's a niche thing, I understand what you're saying. But, like, the passion down south for college athletics is huge. For sure. For sure. I'll give you here, – so, here's an example here. I'm actually going to – I'm using my brother. Uh, okay. Martin. Fanta. So, so Martin. Marty to, Fanta? Marty Fanta went to University of Cincinnati. Okay. And graduated two years ago from mm-hmm. UC. So he lives in Cincinnati still. Cincinnati has an amazing year of yep. football. Amazing. Um, amazing. Better than they maybe ever had. They mm-hmm. made the, the playoff. It was incredible. And I got to tell you, and I think he, he, he would admit this, like, he was as if not more interested because he's a college football guy. There are, you, you, you guys all have those friends who are just like live for college football. That's why we have the field of 12, which, yep. which uh, revs up soon. I, as much as he thought Cincinnati was a cool story and he's an alum of the school, there was no way he was missing Alabama and Auburn or LSU and, and Georgia or any of those SEC schools play on a Saturday afternoon, even if his Bearcats were playing. In other words, the South drives the bus of college football. It does. And in college sports in general, even college baseball would not exist if not for the South. 
And in college college basketball, there's a lot of big-time programs that are in the southern portion of the country. My take on it is, and I think the general take, there's there's two sides of it. Number one, there is an interest for college basketball. Uh, In November, December, and January, the sport struggles. Part of that is the sport and its TV partners defeat themselves. You're putting games on 11 p.m. Eastern time. You're putting games on at bad times. You're matching it up with football. You can't match up with football. You can't. You're never going to beat football. How does the sport grow itself during those times of year? My vote, I'm okay. If, if, if you know Ohio State's playing Michigan State in a big noon kickoff game at noon, why not have a college basketball game at 10 a.m.? Why not get inventive? Why not try something at 2.30, 3 o'clock? Be different. Be, be different. Find a way to mesh the sport in those areas. There's clearly a desire for it, Terrence, and that's where I do think it's a big city take. Because if you look at the television ratings, college basketball had better viewership numbers than the NBA Finals in March Madness. So it's not like there's not an interest then. How does the sport grow in November, December, and January is a bigger question. And the first step is stop tipping off games at 11 p.m. Eastern time that matter that time of year. People are in bed. They're asleep. You have to put games on at better times. Have to. Yep. Well, the, the, the problem is, and I've said this before, but the biggest issue with college sports or with college basketball is that the teams that matter are so it's so diluted. And what I mean by that is um, there are what 80 college basketball teams that are relevant. It's not like if you go, if you live in Alabama, um, you're either an Alabama or an Auburn fan, right? Pretty much exclusively. There are going to be people that are going to be UAB fans. There are going to be people that root for this team, that root for that team. It's a little less like there's, there's probably what, like, 15 to 20 football teams in college football that really matter, that mm-hmm. really drive ratings, that really drive that kind of stuff. Whereas in college basketball, it's like you have three or four that matter nationally, but then you have like 80 that people are completely crazily passionate about. Like Murray State, for example, the people in Murray, Kentucky care about Murray more than anything else. And they love college basketball and they love their racers. But it's it, it, if you put a Murray State game on, those people are going to love it. And then you're going to have, what, like 20,000 people from that city watching and that's it. So it, it's it's but you know diluted. what? But you know what? What was the highest rated Elite Eight game? The was it St. Peter's? St. Peter's. Yeah, it's in, it, in part, other words, uh, uh, something can captivate a nation. I'm not saying it's Murray State. But yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the tournament and the way that that's set up. I'm just I'm talking about in November, December, and January. It gets yeah, it can get really really diluted because there's so many competing loyalties and you have yeah. so many different games on and you're not going to see the massive amount of number when, when there's, when there's 19 college basketball games on live, you're not going to see the numbers on any individual game. If you add all those up, those numbers are going to look good. And if you do something like create the field of 68, where you talk about nothing but college basketball every single night over and over and over again, you're going to be able to find an audience because there's people that care about that. The issue is I'm talking about stuff like first take. I'm talking about stuff like Sports Center. I'm talking about these big national sports shows are going to talk about the things that drive the biggest numbers. And that's not going to be college basketball unless you're talking Coach K, unless you're talking North Carolina, unless you're talking March Madness. So that's why that's why there's a space for what we do. And the other People thing is the, the other reason why there's a space for what we do is we do cover the games. We do cover mm-hmm. the players. We do cover what teams are doing well and what teams are don't are, are not doing well. In other words, we cover the college basketball season. We don't come on the air and tell you 
who the number one and number two picks in the draft are going to be. And, yeah. and I'm not trying to be overly critical, but one of the things that has to change about some of the national coverage is we can't always connect it to the NBA, especially during a random game on a December weeknight. And I know that's probably never going to change because rights holders are rights holders. And if ESPN has the rights to the NBA, they're going to do as much as they can to drive the National Basketball Association product. But by the same token, guys, like we get so much into prospects at times, not us, I'm saying nationally, that it ends up diluting some of the actual game coverage that people just want to watch. Yeah. They just want to watch some. There are some people out there. In fact, I would say the majority, the guys that are watching the prospects, the chances that they're actually watching the live telecast are not high. You know what they're watching? The 17-minute YouTube video that Draft Express or somebody puts out the next morning or a couple days after, or even now. There's guys on YouTube. I'll do it ahead of the draft. I'll look at a guy's 15-minute highlight tape and, and check him out if I haven't watched much of them. So I do think at times, like, I get the player-driven stuff, and everything is player-driven and athlete-driven, and it's why when we have a Zion or when we had Paolo this past year, like, of course that drives the bus. But we at the Field of 68 talked about the fact that Paolo Bancaro wasn't the most important thing for Duke. It was other pieces. It was the backcourt pieces. It was Mark Williams' rim protection. So I do think that's why Rob and Terrence, we were able to do what we did this past year because of the fact that the coaches who watch our stuff and the people who just watch the games, they want to react to the game that was played because they're a fan of that school or they're a fan of this conference. They're not, they don't care. They're, they're happy for the kid who walks on the stage in Brooklyn in June. But that's not why they're watching in November and December. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bingo. 100%. You nailed it. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, – I want to talk about the portal real quick, but we don't have to spend too much time on this. But I'm curious because I think I might have a hot take on this, but I'm going to ask you guys first. Uh, T.O., do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that the portal exists the way that it does in college basketball? Because I've seen guys – Tom Izzo's complaining about it recently – um, and has criticized it. There's been other coaches that have come out and said it's not necessarily a good thing for the game. Coach K, Roy Williams, both kind of intimated that this that that some of the changes uh, have been part of the reason that they uh, they are no longer um, right. in the coaching rank. So, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a. I think it is what it is. I, I it's it's hard for me to really have an opinion. But what I do like about it, guys, is the fact that now coaches have to be nicer to their players because you have to be able to keep them. And that, that, that's difficult. And the thing is, is uh, it's, it, it makes it hard for a lot of guys that are, that are really like, they, they, they drive the message home sometimes, not by force, but by like uh, repercussion or being demeaning. You can't do that anymore. You got to treat your guys right. Now, that being said with the portal, uh, it's just part of what's going on. And whenever I, I had a discussion yesterday, I, I, I did a hit with, with Sirius XM and it was like, is it in a good place or a bad place? I, I, I think college basketball from a visionary standpoint, as far as like what I'm watching on the floor, I think it's in a great place because of this extra year. And I think there's going to be a market correction. I think people are going to start to be able to kind of get back to normal with a reduction in scholarships. Guys are starting to leave. There's a big portion of guys that enter the portal that just don't play anymore. And so I, I think for what it's worth, like if I'm a student athlete going in, I better have something in line right away if I'm not somebody like a Brandon Huntley Hatfield from Tennessee, if I'm not somebody like a, uh, what's the kid's name, Kedrick Davis from SMU, who knows he's going to have a spot. Like, 
if I don't know what I'm getting into as soon as I hit the portal, like you're taking a huge risk. And I think now uh, players are starting to realize that a little bit more. And I also think like, I also think it's good for coaches like, Hey, you can't just blindly go in and make promises because if you don't keep them, a guy can just leave. And I think that's, I think that's fine. Yeah, I, I think overall, I do think it's going to end up being um, a good thing for the sport as a whole. It's a little bit difficult because it, it eliminates some of the uh, notoriety of players. Um, I, I think one of the biggest issues that college basketball faces is that in November and December, uh, the general public doesn't know who the best players actually are. Um, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily a great thing. That's uh, our but- job. Yeah, that's our job is to, to educate people. And, and you know, when you don't have a situation where, like, Bryce Young and all of these great freshman quarterbacks are coming back, you kind of deal with that a little bit in college football as well. But I think that I think that what it does is going to raise the level of the, like the, 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 top, the top teams in the sport. And what I mean by that is normally if you have a player leave school early, like let, let's say that you unexpectedly lose a point guard from your team, right? You're going to have to go out and find a freshman and try to f- fill that spot with uh, whoever you can get. Now, instead of having to find a freshman, you can go out and you can get Kendrick Davis from SMU. You can go out and get one of these up transfers, a kid from East Carolina that's really good, you know? And you can fill the role that way. If you're Kansas and you need a point guard in your spot, you don't have to worry about going out and trying to find some freshman to, to, to mold into that position and, and hope that he works out two or three years down the road. You go get Remy Martin. And Remy Martin won in the national side, right? So I, I do think that it, it allows these players to jump up a level and it makes yeah. it so that these teams at the highest level are going to be better than they, they were. At the same time, those it teams can bring the, the bottom level, up too, though. It can yeah, but what, too. like if you exactly. look at, for, yeah, for for example, if you look at Clemson, I'm sorry to in, interrupt you, Rob, but but Clemson loses their two lead guards, the guys who started the multi, like there's a very strong chance that they get an upgrade at those spots, and the fact that they already have certain pieces and they can get upgrades at certain spots, like that's huge, it's yeah. huge. So but it's it's like, and, and it, you, it you also it, it also allows, and it's not just it's not just that it's like. So SMU loses Kendrick Davis, right? Well, they can go down and find one of these studs in the D2 ranks or in the lower Division One ranks and bring them up a level. So I think that it creates kind of an effect where if you if you go to college and you perform, there's going to be a better opportunity for you where you can move up a level. Now, if you perform there, then maybe you have a chance to get to the NBA. Um, I, I think it hurts some high school kids and that you're not necessarily Kills going them. to have the uh, what? Kills them. Yeah, Kills. it's going to hurt a lot of high school kids. The fact that, one, all these kids are getting COVID years, and two, all of these uh, coaches are now, like, recruiting the portal. Like, you go and talk to coaches, and they'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get two or three kids out of the portal. Maybe we'll bring in a freshman this year, right? So I think that it it it's going to force a lot of these, like, kind of Oshaya Bajis and DeWan Harris's and players of that ilk are going to end up at some of these mid-majors which creates an opportunity for mid-major coaches to go out and say, we're the factory that is going to turn you into the next player at the high mid. If you're, if Great, you're creates uh, a feeder system, creates a feeder system. Yeah. Like if you're Joni Broom, right. If you're, if you're uh, Steve Prohm at Murray state, go out and find all of these guys, these three stars, these uh, borderline top 100 kids, bring them in say, we're going to give you a ton of minutes. You're going to play your way up. Give me two years and I'm going to help you get to the high major level. Hell I'll send you to LSU where my former assistant Mac McMahon is now the head coach kind of a thing. Right? So you create a pipeline, you come here, you perform, then we'll get you to the high major level. So I do think that it, it's, it, it's going to help a lot of players find their level and it's going to help, help a lot of the teams at the top level um, 
be able to stay at that level, if that makes sense. Am I, am I talking, you, you look confused. Am I talking through my ass here, Fanta? No, you're right. It, but, but the, the bottom gets better by this. The middle gets better programs that you wouldn't have seen as elite eight or sweet 16 caliber teams heading into a season can be that there's more parity in college basketball because of the transfer portal. Now at the end of the day, the final four was, was the teams that maybe you would have guessed that collection of four teams at the start of the season. There's a chance you might've a chance you might've that being said, Miami doesn't make the elite eight without the transfer portal. Providence made their first Sweet 16 in 25 years. They're not doing that by out-recruiting Villanova and Connecticut. They're not. You have to bring in the right collection of kids. And it does hurt high schoolers. Why? Because you're getting a fifth or a sixth-year player, sometimes a seventh-year player. Uh, I haven't seen any eighth or ninth, but it wouldn't be shocking to me. Yeah, the last uh, time we had a nine-year college player was when Robbie Hummel was at Purdue. That's right. That's right. Uh, and Aaron Kraft won eight years, right? Or John Diebler. John Diebler was my, like, I thought he played at Ohio State for a decade. Okay. So uh, for me, like, I think that the portal allows you to accelerate what you do. And, and if you're building things up, you can, or if you were fading, if you had a bad year last year, no longer are you going to say, it's going to take us another year to figure things out and, First off, ADs aren't going to listen to that anymore. Right. The job changes. And, and some people are saying it's our, it's our business. You know, our business sucks. Our business is brutal. You know, Laval Jordan at Butler shouldn't have lost his job. And, and Laval's a good man. And the way that he lost it, I, I wouldn't say that that's appropriate. That being said, that's a reflection of the pressure. The pressures that are on you to win. You're getting paid a lot of money. And, and if you're getting paid that kind of money – you are expected to bring in wins when other programs are making it a reality, some of which don't have the resources that you possess. So for me, uh, I think what it does is two things. Number one, it means that the bottom or the middle can actually be closer to the top. It means that other programs that were once perceived as top 25 or top 35 programs can be top five programs or top 10 programs in the following year, if they get the right collection of kids. And what else does it mean? It means that the coaching carousel has never been running faster. Schools want immediate gratification, especially off of a pandemic where money is necessary. You've got to win games. You've got to get units for your league. There's going to be more pressure on programs to win now because that's the reality of the situation. And the line, the line between being a mid-major coach who puts together three or four magical days at a conference tournament and makes the NCAA tournament and gets that job, that big job, the line has never been thinner between that person and the person at a power conference school who makes the tournament and loses in bad fashion in the first round or misses the tournament in a one-off year. Because if your buyout makes enough sense, they will move on. They will move on. And that's why coaches are complaining. Because in, in one way, it could end like that. But in another, that's the reality of college basketball now. The portal is the portal. It's not changing. But to say that the bottom gets killed by it is wrong. There were a lot of bottom schools. There were a lot of low- and mid-major coaches who were saying, we get killed by this. 
Sometimes you're able to get a talent that you would never get at your school as a result of the transfer portal. Facts yeah. are facts. The only people that have gotten killed are high school kids. Like the high school seniors, uh, those, guys, those, guys, those guys are getting killed with this extra year because especially now that you're going back to the original number of scholarships. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, this, this oh, high school yeah. senior class is just like, oh, buddy. Like it, there's going to be – I think the next three or four years, those, those high school kids are – like if you get an offer from somewhere, you better take it because there is a finite amount and there's a lot more players. And it's yeah. just that that's just the way it's going to that's the way it's going to be at this point. And what, what's going to end up happening is we're going to see this for probably another two to three years where there's this glut of of COVID years that are still there with the 13 scholarships. And you're going to have a, a more players, more division one caliber players than there are scholarships available. Um, but, but that's and so the portal is going to be nuts because you're going to have all these kids that are at too low of a level that perform really well that then these high majors end up going to try to scoop up and it's going to be this constant thing. Uh, but I think in two to three years, maybe four years, once you kind of get rid of this like mass of of players that are that are the, the too many players, we're going to find a new normal. And I think that eventually, once everything kind of like finds its level then the portal is going to end up being a thing where it kind of balances out. We just, we got to get to the new normal right now. We're still in these weird times with, with COVID years and everything. We got to get to a new normal real quick. Shaden Sharp put his name in the draft to he's maintaining his college eligibility. Are you telling him to leave? Are you telling him to stay? What are you telling him to do? He's picked in, He's going to be picked in the top eight. He might be, he might go top five. Uh, let's chuck him. Get out of here. That, that's, that's life altering money. Chuck him what and get if, out of there. What if uh, what if Kentucky finds a way to put together an NIL deal where he can get like three million? Are they going to no. get? Is he going to get three million a year for the next five years? No, he's not. See ya. Yeah. You I mean, it, this is changing money. This isn't even a question. You're you're a top ten pick in the draft. What if you tear your Achilles? I mean, I'm just be I hate to be to be bloody, but what if what if you have a terrible injury that derails your career? Go get paid, sir. Jaden Sharp. I wish I would have watched you in college do great things, but you need to go get paid. Yeah, I get would out of here, man. Draft. Yeah, and here's the thing. That, that NIL deal sounds all cute and stuff. You tear your Achilles, there's no return on investment for the people that are helping you out with that NIL deal. Mm-hmm. You better go get paid and get you a four – was it three – was it four years? Four years guaranteed. Years? If you're like the top five pick, you're making something like $5 million a year. It's like get out of here. guaranteed. Get out of here, Shaden. Don't even Actually, think no, I think the first it. two years, let me let me rephrase. I think the first think two three years are guaranteed. Three and a fourth. Three and four, is... there's a team option. But like if you're Shane Sharp, that, that your team is unless you're unless you're as terrible as Joe Alexander was in his first two years, the team is picking up your option. So yeah, get out of there. It's not the even only, a question. The only thing that I would say is um that money goes quick, right? Between taxes and agent fees and, and, and uh, the, the, all the, everything else that you have to pay, you're not actually getting 5 million a year. You're probably getting closer to like two and change a year, right? In terms right. of what's actually hitting your bank account, which is good money and great money. It's not generational wealth. Uh, I do think that there is some merit to saying that an extra year of college basketball will help you prepare and help you be ready to get to that second contract when you can make that generational wealth. Um, I also would say this. If I'm advising Shaden Sharp, uh, do not go back to Kentucky. Do not dare go back. Get your ass in the draft. Go get paid. Go get your money, son. Make it work. Listen, guys, this has been fun. Uh, That's it. It's Yeah, it's it's good to connect. Fanta's got to get out of here. Fanta's always cutting us short. Mr. Uh, 
Mister's got eighteen thousand things to do. Um, I think he's actually getting yelled at because he forgot to take the clothes out of the washing machine to put them in the dryer. So no, I think I... that's what we have going on right now. I got to get it done. You got to make sure. You... <laughs> there you go. Oh, She's too good. Your list. Good for you. Too good. All right, fellas, this has been fun. We'll connect again. I don't know. I'm not going to. Hey, real quick, real quick, real quick. Fanta, did you happen to listen to Cam Newton's rant on what a woman should do in a relationship? No, I didn't. I'll have to listen to that. Dude, I want you to go listen to it, and I want you to listen to absolutely nothing that he had to say. Yeah, everything that he whatever he says, do the the exact freaking opposite as fast as your car will let you go. All right, I'm going to watch that. That's going on. Adding it to my list. Watch. You don't need to watch it. You will you will be dumber if you do. You will be I'm not watching you do. Gentlemen, yeah. this has been fun. I'm not even going to tease when the next episode is going to be because I have no idea. At some point, we're going to talk again whenever I decide I want to see your faces again. Yeah. Next week. Next week. We're going weekly all year, baby. 